was really beautiful to see the audiences connecting with us, you know, connecting with our message, connecting with what we wanted to say. And I think that really transformed my vision. I wasn't aware about the color of tights and ponchos that is supposed to match our skin tone ever since dance was created. The pink ponchos and pink tights are close to the skin tone. And so back then and kind of now, dance is predominantly white. So then when Mr. Mitchell created the skin tone, tights and ponchos was revolutionary because nobody ever thought about it. And people usually associate ponchos and tights to the costume and has nothing to do with the costume historically. It goes even deeper than that. So I was able to learn about the power of being part of something and see myself re represented in something that I was part of it. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. When I was young, I didn't see anyone that looked like me. Nowadays, this new generation of dancers can see me as an inspirational person. Having this platform was real eye-opening. For us women, it's very hard to find places that you feel secure, that you feel confident, that you can share your stories, that you can share your dreams without being judged. And I often think that when I was young, if I have seen someone that looked like me, how would that have shaped my mind, my vision? It's a sparkle. That is a short take of the new documentary being featured at Cannes Lines Film Festival, entitled Making Space, a visual poetry journey featuring Ingrid Silver, the famous ballet dancer with the Dance Theatre of Harlem Company, and an advocate for diversity in the ballet world. The documentary Making Space tells Ingrid's story from her humble beginnings in Brazil to her success in the dance world to why she became a racial justice advocate. In today's episode, we'll be interviewing Ingrid and unpacking how to overcome racism in dance. Please note a quick advisory to all listeners before we begin our episode today. At The Fix, we really believe in supporting mothers with work-life integration. In today's episode, Ingrid is joined by her 18-month-old baby, who at times you may hear in the background. Earlier this year, dancers from around the world spoke out about racism in ballet, standing in solidarity with black French ballet dancer Chloe Lopez Gomez. In an interview with The Guardian newspaper, Chloe had reported that she was repeatedly told she didn't fit in because of her black skin, that she was pressured to wear white skin makeup and in rehearsals was told her mistakes stood out because of her skin colour and that she couldn't have the white veil her white colleagues would have because she's black. In April, the BBC reported that Chloe had received €16,000 and had her contract renewed in an out-of-court settlement with Berlin State Ballet, which has also pledged to work to build a culture of openness. In a news interview with NBC, Chloe called for the ballet world to tackle elitism and the limited access for racial minorities, both amongst dancers themselves and in the audience, which is also overwhelmingly white. 
Did you know that researchers found that racial discrimination may actually be affecting the way genes are expressed, leading to increased levels of dangerous stress hormones? In an article in Dance magazine, Dr Erlinger A. Turner, PhD, says that the stress of experiencing or witnessing racism and discrimination can take a psychological toll, linked to increased stress, lower self-esteem and risks for mental health difficulties like depression. He points out that for black dancers, this toll may make it difficult to effectively practice their craft due to lack of energy or motivation. To advance diversity in dance, we need to create environments that value difference. That requires a challenge to historic norms, like what Pride magazine describes as the preference for a homogenous corps de ballet, which privileges Eurocentric ideals of beauty before racial diversity. Essentially, we need to challenge the idea that it's more aesthetically pleasing for all dancers in a performance to look like the same white body repeated across the stage. To encourage more black and other people of colour into ballet, we need to ensure that existing dancers have every opportunity to thrive. Here Ingrid shares her journey to becoming a ballet dancer. I started dancing when I was eight in a community dance project in Brazil called Dançando para Não Dançar. This community dance project definitely has changed my life. I had no idea about ballet. I never dreamed to be a ballerina. I mean, I was just on swimming classes. And I was very energetic. So definitely ballet changed my whole view. You know, the discipline, how hard it is. And I love challenges. So I fell in love with dance. And while I was in Brazil, I went to three different dance schools until I came to Dance Theatre of Harlem. At the age of 18, I auditioned with 200 people via video. And that's Laura making some noises, you know, being part of the interview as well. And then they enjoyed my performance and they said I was very talented and invited me to come. So I've been in the company now for 13 years and I've got to meet the founder, Arthur Mitchell, who created the company in 1969 and definitely changed the vision of dancers of color in the dance world. So I'm really excited to be here. I believe that art is very transformative. It can change so many people's lives. And I think ballet really transformed my life in many ways. Ballet is definitely challenging, but the beauty of being on stage and connect with the audience and talk through your body, I think that's one of the most important things. We often don't have any idea on how amazing is our bodies. You know, we just see the outside part of it, but there is so much depth inside on how we can communicate. So I think dance was that to me. Also in Brazil, even though if it's a diverse country, there is not many dancers of color. So the change for me was audition outside of my bubble, outside of my country and finding an opportunity. And I also think that's what dance is about. It's about creating opportunities and how transformative these opportunities can be. And besides as being a dancer, I was able to use my activism inside of my dance world to outside of my dance world and see causes that I wasn't aware before, but they are really important to our journeys. Ingrid is part of the Dance Theatre of Harlem Company, a 17-member, multi-ethnic company that uses the language of ballet to celebrate African-American culture. 
Through performances, community engagement, and arts education, the company creates opportunities for anyone to participate in ballet. For example, one of the company's programs is Dancing Through Barriers, which provides young people and adults of all ages an opportunity to be a part of a positive, inclusive dance community. Here Ingrid shares how the Dance Theatre of Harlem Company is not only changing perceptions of ballet, but also advancing racial equity within the broader community. The Institute of Harlem was founded in 1969 by Arthur Mitchell. He was the first African-American principal dancer at New York City Ballet. And he was in his way to Brazil to found the Institute of Harlem in Brazil. But Martin Luther King was assassinated. So he came back to Harlem where he's raised to create dance there. So he created the Institute of Harlem there. I didn't know about my power of transformation being a Black woman until I came to the Institute of Harlem. Because in the dance communities that I was part of it in Brazil, I was always the only one. And for the first time when I joined the Institute of Harlem, I saw so many people that looked like me. And the company also travels all over the world. So it was really beautiful to see audiences connecting with us you know, connecting with our message, connecting with what we wanted to say. And I think that really transformed my vision. I wasn't aware about the color of tights and ponchos that is supposed to match our skin tone. Ever since dance was created, the pink ponchos and pink tights are close to the skin tone. And so back then, and kind of now, dance is predominantly white. So then when Mr. Mitchell created the skin tone, tights and ponchos was revolutionary because nobody ever thought about it. And people usually associate ponchos and tights to the costume and has nothing to do with the costume historically. It goes even deeper than that. So I was able to learn about the power of being part of something and see myself represented in something that I was part of it and I had no idea. I never questioned Oh, why I'm wearing pink or why is it pink? And when I came to the Institute of Harlem, it was definitely an eye-opening for sure. And in that way, I was able to create Empower New York, which was founded in 2017 at the boom of women finding themselves and finding a voice. Not finding a voice because I believe that we all do have a voice, but we need to be empowered enough and definitely have confidence. You know, most of the times we need confidence to express ourselves. So this organization, it's a global organization who supports women in every way. We educate them, we create supports to them, we work in groups. And I'm really proud of this organization because we have found people jobs, we've connected people globally. We were able to work with agencies such as The Block, who we collaborated in two projects. The first one was The Call, talking about racial bias. And then the second one was Skin Deep. So all the ideas came from us at Empower Her to create the video, to make the ideas. We talk about a lot as community, about how can we support each other, but we have to do it in the right way. You know, most of the times when you look at social media, we only do things online. With us, we are really hands-on on what the things that the community need and what women needs to elevate themselves as best. Also, it was suggested by our collaboration with the blog to share about my life story. And I was really excited to have that at Keynes because it brought a different view 
to people, you know, and it's a beautiful way to see where my journey is inspiring and, and it's getting across. It's not just inside of the dance community, but it's outside as well. One of the challenges with overcoming racism is that often unknowingly white people can contribute to the problem while simultaneously denying that it exists, a phenomenon known as racial denial. This denial not only perpetuates the problem, but it also gaslights individual people of colour whose traumatic experiences of racism are denied or explained away. A journal article published in Emerald by psychologists from Michigan State University points out that racially traumatic events such as police violence and brutality towards black people affect individuals both in and outside of work and that black employees may call in black to avoid interacting with co-workers in organisations that lack resources and perceived identity and psychological safety. In her book, The Memo, Minda Hart says that there used to be this rumour that we were living in a post-racial America, which meant racism no longer existed. She says, now let's be clear, white people were the ones that started this rumour because a black man was elected president. This rumour made it difficult for people of colour to claim that inequalities were due to racism. Tackling racial inequality in all its forms requires that we see it, and the impact it creates, like wanting to be a ballet dancer but not believing that you might be welcome or that it's even possible for you as there are no ballet dancers who look like you. Coming from Brazil where we have so many beautiful dance companies and I wanted to be a ballerina, there are still no black ballerinas in companies there and that's a problem. Even though now after what, I live in New York now for 13 years, there's still no professional black ballerinas in major companies in Brazil. So this is also an act of racism. They don't have to speak about it, but you just see it through the actions. And here in New York, I mean, New York is a beautiful, amazing bubble where people from all over the world can be whatever they want to be. But when we leave here and I go on tour with the state of Harlem, like in the middle of the United States, you see crazy stuff. We've encountered people asking, what are you guys doing here when we were performing in these theaters? Or like, just looking at you different. And I think this is the beauty of what this company is. We are here to break boundaries. We are here to break barriers. We are here to tell people that dance is for everyone and educate people. You know, it's really important. It's not because you don't see that it doesn't exist. And for the future dancers, it's important for them to see what they can be as a form of inspiration. Daniel Kromkowski, a professor of sociology at the University of Vermont and author of the new book, The Color of Culture, published this year, shares findings from the National Endowment for the Arts Research, which reveals that African-Americans participate at rates two to five times less than whites in specific cultural activities, like attending classical music concerts at 11% for whites versus 4% for blacks, or visiting art museums at 24% for whites versus 12% for blacks. Daniel says that when it comes to tackling racism, we often focus on economic inequality, but cultural inequality is just as important as these activities contribute to the health and well-being of society. Black people deserve to be reflected, respected, and valued in every part of society. 
Here Ingrid shares what dance companies can do to truly value difference. I believe that dance companies have to really reinforce what diversity is to them. It doesn't matter if they have one black ballerina and they say that they are diverse because that doesn't mean anything. If you are in a company of 40 dancers and you only have two, then that's nothing, you know? It's still not even like 20% in the group. So I believe that this diversity has to come in the schools, giving scholarship to people that can afford classes. There are so many talented people all over the world. It comes from companies, the brands embracing diversity. It doesn't mean that you say that you are listening to us or that you are pro-diverse. And when I go to the store, buy a pair of ponchos that are skin color, I have to order. You know, they're just not there in the store for me to pick it up and then just go with my day. Or that they cost more than the regular pair of ponchos just because they're a different color. Then what kind of support are you giving? And how do you see dance as diverse? So I'm really looking forward to a better future in dance where we are all embraced as being ourselves in any gender as well. You know, I believe that dance is for everyone and we should break the cycle of just being old. We need to walk with how the future is walking as well. In 2019, Misty Copeland, the first African-American female principal at American Ballet Theatre, shared an image on her Instagram account of two women in full costume, preparing for a performance of La Bayadere, a 19th century ballet set in India. The women were both in blackface. Misty's caption simply read, this is the reality of the ballet world. The New York Times reported that the image was from a rehearsal at the Bolshoi in Moscow, one of the world's leading ballet companies. There were two comments in the New York Times article which really struck me. First, that in Russia, blackface is less taboo, and the connected point that there are so few people of colour to complain of its use, which perfectly highlights the burden we place on marginalised groups to be the arbiters of the inequality they themselves experience but have had no hand in creating. Second, the article reports that in response to Misty's post, the Bolshoi's general director said in a statement that the Bolshoi will not comment on the absurd allegation of racism, which highlights the challenges of racial denial that we mentioned earlier. The New York Times reported that responses to the picture highlighted a growing geographical divide. In the United States, blackface in any form evokes the painful legacy of racism and is rooted in performances of white actors with darkened skin which serve to perpetuate racial stereotypes about African-Americans. Whereas in Russia, the report said there's no symbolic baggage with blackface, which allows people there, should they choose, to regard the makeup as simply part of a theatrical tradition. If you haven't already seen the photo which Misty shared, I'd encourage you to find it and decide what you think about it. Outside of the ballet world, in most workplaces, the idea of blackface showing up and not being understood as racist is largely unthinkable. But isn't that really just the bare minimum? And it doesn't necessarily mean that our workplaces are always safe from the perpetuation and denial of racial inequality or from subtle forms of racism. Inequality in our workplaces may not dance on stage for all to see, but as Sophie Williams said in her book Anti-Racist Ally, being less overt doesn't mean it's less bad, it just means it's more slippery, harder to identify, harder to report and harder to point to. 
The simple fact is that we can't create cultures of equality where diversity can thrive until we root out racism in all its forms and we can't root it out until we stop denying it exists. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Just a quick reminder before you go that if you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please reach out at thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. If you want to support our work, then please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get yours. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.